Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Inflation and interest rates continue to be a much-discussed topic, with every move by the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, and other global central banks predicted, watched, and analyzed. On today's Fidelity Connects podcast, we'll get an exclusive window into the Bank of Canada with special guest David Dodge, economist and former governor of the Bank of Canada. David served as governor from 2001 to 2008 and also was made an officer of the Order of Canada in 2007. Today, he joins host Pamela Ritchie to share his perspectives on both the global economy and Canada, including immigration, housing, and more. Today's podcast was recorded on June 13th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read funds prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Let's dive deep into what happens tomorrow, which of course is whether the Fed will or won't hike rates. Uh, the market certainly doesn't think that it will hike rates. Um, is that the only reason that they would not hike rates? The market's not expecting it? No, I think the worry of a central banker is always that you may overdo it. Uh, and so unless there's a really powerful reason to move uh, at this point, it, it would, the, the sort of natural reaction is, is not to move unless something happens that tells you that things are going to be worse than you thought on the inflation front. So that that's sort of the where you come from in where they are coming from in making that decision. Um, whether they move or not, uh, we'll see tomorrow. But there's a strong motivation not to overdo it at this point. So what is the difference in inflation between Canada and the U.S.? Uh, it, it, more than ju in, in just the numbers. I think that the, uh, the U.S. economy has proven really um, surprisingly resilient. Uh, ours has too in Canada, but uh, I would say more so in the U.S. And so I think there is more reason in the U.S. to fear that this may continue uh, than there, there was in Canada. We were all surprised with the first quarter numbers. The bank here was surprised with the first quarter numbers. And so they had to, to make one more move. Um, and um, that's the nature of the game. You're, you're, you have a, a game plan, but you have to adjust as the data come in. And as the data come in, are telling central bank, uh, central bankers, and and you know investors across the board how much the pace of interest rates and and where we are, the level, have already affected the economy. We we saw it in the U.S. in the in the banking. Uh, 
disruptions that we saw through the month of March. Where else, where else are we seeing it or are we waiting to see it, would you say, in Canada particularly? No, I would say we're, we're basically still waiting to see it in North America. I mean, we should. We should see uh, a slowing on, on the consumer side. We have seen a bit of a, con a slowing on the uh, investment side. But the slowing in both countries, I would say, has been slower so far uh, than we might have expected, and certainly slower than the Bank of Canada expected. Is there um, any reason to disrupt the idea that wages equal inflation, inflation equals higher wages? Are, are they the same? Are they either the same thing or two sides of the same coin? Or can we actually see them a little bit? divergent at this no stage. no i mean i mean this is being driven by what's happening in in the market for goods and services and we had market for goods tighten up extraordinarily quickly in 21 uh for services in in 2022 um and when you have that much excess demand for product employers have to reach out and uh, increase output and in the short run it's hard to increase your amount of capital so in the short run you have to reach out and add labor uh, as you do that uh, you drive you tend to drive wages up because the labor market gets tight and but unfortunately you also tend to drive productivity down uh, because each new worker you add is still got you know, this is the same amount of fixed capital that he or she is working with. And so that that has been the process that we've been working our way through now in really for the last 18 months. Um, and it's only now, I think, in, in 2023 mid year that we should expect to see fully the impacts uh, of what we started to do uh, late, we started late, but we started to do in 2022. So we should be seeing it uh, by the summer, which is why I said the natural inclination of the central banker is not to move too far ahead, ahead, of, ahead of the game at this point, um, simply because we know that this process of disinflation stretches out over a period of time and you have to be prepared as a central bank to hold that rate up to get enough disinflationary forces in the economy over time and hold it up at a time when governments and the public are probably screaming at you uh, to pull rates down but if you do pull them down too early you just know because of the lags in the system, uh, that the disinflation process won't be complete, and you're going to be back in the soup a little later in 24 and 25. We are seeing those uh, expectations of cuts later this year sort of dissipating. Uh, big investors in the market betting, you know, huge bets on cuts coming later this year. That that's that's being shaken. Um, so would you say, again, the ability to then hold rates where they are, if not go higher, 
is um, being communicated in the market now, just now? Uh, it seems to be. Um, I mean, I wrote a, 18, no, eight months ago that I thought this was going to be a long process, that we were going to have high rates, whatever the peak was going to be. We were going to have that peak well in the 2024 before it could come down, and it would come down pretty slowly. And and the final point, which I think is really critical, that that the ongoing rate by the time he got to the end of 2025 was going to be three or three and a quarter or something in that order of magnitude for uh, for the policy rate for both of our central banks. So, okay, so you 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 mentioned um, we're getting through sort of the reaction to is the pandemic massive stimulus released. Uh, generally thought that most of it was needed, started too late to soak it all up, which is happening now uh, and has been for the last several months. Why will it stay high? Inflation. Uh, because it takes time to adjust. The economy doesn't turn on a dime. Uh, these things take time. Uh, some markets will turn very quickly. Commodity markets tend to be much more volatile, much more sensitive and move quickly because they are always poised on a knife edge, right? And a little bit of move will move the price a lot in those markets. That is just not true in most markets. Uh, in fact, things move relatively slowly. Uh, business uh, ad adapts its pricing, uh, pricing uh, uh, strategy uh, relatively slowly, and wages uh, adjust relatively relatively slowly uh so some things take time and not everything is poised on a knife edge like the oil market or the lumber market so if we extend what you're saying in terms of there are legs it takes time at this point through 2023 maybe this is where it begins to actually be felt i mean the questions coming in are does that mean a, a recession is coming? The other question is, if you were Bank of Canada governor right now, would you hike again? Well, we'll wait and see what more data comes in before the next uh, fixed action date in July. Um, but as I said, the, your instinct is, if you think you're on the right track, not to, not to, move uh, too quickly. And at the other end, the instinct is to hold it longer than the government and people will be pressuring you to bring it down. Things just do take more time. Um, the, the, the engine telegraph in the, on the bridge of the ship is not connected to the engine room back there. Uh, quite as directly as everybody thinks. And uh, so so you have to work your way through it that way. Okay. And a recession call, if you're willing to give one? Well, I mean, we obviously need something. We obviously need a few quarters of close to zero growth, whether that is negative, whether that is positive. My own view, it... it, it is in in Canada that it's probably going to be slightly positive, 
but we need we need that period the third quarter uh third and fourth quarter of this year first and second quarter next year unless we get significant slowing uh we're not going to get inflation down Okay, so let's dig into one of the big, big discussions of interest rates rising, which, of course, is the housing market in this country. Uh, and this question is coming in. Can you speak to Canadian housing prices, especially in light of high immigration? You know, that's expected to continue. It's, it's part of the strategy of um, creating a population where we have low birth rates here in this country. H housing prices and immigration. Can you speak to that? Uh, yeah. So, again, with housing prices, because not everybody has a floating rate mortgage. Uh, a lot of people do, though. A lot of people do, but many of those who do have also protection in the, so that it doesn't hit uh, that quickly, number one. And number two, we actually did build up quite a bit of savings in 2020 and 2021. So, so you know, the system is not so responsive as as you might might think. So, uh, housing, housing, we have this excess demand, which is going to continue as far as the eye can see, when we're creating over a hundred thousand extra additional households every year uh, through immigration. Um, that's over and above what we would have expected to be creating. So that demand's going to continue. And um, and the pricing, the prices will reflect that. So I don't expect on the on the house price side that we're going to see much movement. And for most most people, especially young people and the immigrants, the real issue is rents um, because of the lack of rental uh, rental combination. And so that is that is going to squeeze people's ability to spend on other things. Yeah, it's fascinating. So let's get into sort of the longer term view of where Canada, you know, so-called industrialized, developed markets, whatever you want to call it, all all dealing with inflation and in most cases rising interest rates. Um, where they go from here? We also yeah. have the churning of sort of industrial policy discussions in the U.S. under Biden. It's been the IRA. It's the green policy, ultimately. Uh, in this country, there's also been many moves towards that. I mean, one of the obvious questions it seems to ask you is, is this, well, it is all inflationary. It doesn't seem to be any question about that. It's going to cost money for governments to change the economy, essentially, the industrial foundations of, of a country and how it works. Um, what does that do long term for the discussion of inflation and, and rates? Yeah, so so you you've made an interesting point, Pamela. Right at the moment, as we finish this first quarter of the 21st century, two things are going on. We're doing the adjustment to the end of the COVID cycle, if you will, which runs basically through 2025. But we're also getting ready for the next quarter of the 21st century which is a quarter that, which will look very different than the 20 years which preceded COVID, and different in at least three or four major ways. First of all, uh, first of all, the baby boom, which was in their high savings year in the first uh, 
20 years of this uh, century are going to be in in their high disk savings years in the last 25 years of this half century. Uh, so the savings flow here in Canada and equally around the world is not going to be nearly as strong uh, from the household sector at any rate as it was before. That lack of savings, everything else equal, would mean higher interest rates. But everything else is not equal. We've got a fragmentation of the global economy, which is tending to allow us not to get right down to the bottom of the cost curve everywhere through, uh, uh, through specialization. So tending to push uh, prices up in that regard. Second, we have the adjustment the huge adjustment uh, to uh, the net zero world uh, that uh, has to go on. And that huge adjustment requires immediately a tremendous amount of investment, not just to replace the energy generation and consumption equipment, which we had, but whole new equipment and scrapping of the old. So we have this big inflationary pressure that comes at this point in time, not dissimilar in many ways to what we had in the 70s when we all had to adjust from oil being essentially free to being oil being very expensive and we had to scrap a, a whole lot of our production uh, processes at the time and we had to squeeze consumers at that point. So so we had that, that inflationary pressure that's going to come from this very important adjustment. Um, and then finally, we have technological change, which could cut either way. Uh, it could cut uh, in a way of increasing uh, efficiency in some parts of the economy, in particular, uh, allowing digitalization uh, to take out some of the backroom paper activity that had to go on, uh, uh, absolutely that, that, that would be helped to hold down uh, the price increases. On the other hand, we keep creating new products, which are creating new demands uh, out there for different types of services uh, than we had before. So um, all of that, when, when you add it up, on the investment side, on the fragmentation side, on the green green energy side, uh, and on the technological change side. When you add it all up, we are headed into a quarter century where investment demand is likely to exceed savings so that the equilibrium uh, underlying real rate of interest, we would expect to be higher than it was in the first 20 years of this decade. And that's why I said, as we come out of this in 2025, out of the COVID adjustment, we're into this new world, which has higher rates of interest uh, and where the, the neutral rate for central banks, provided we continue to aim for 2% inflation, uh, the neutral rate ends being something above three rather than somewhere closer to two as it was. It's fascinating. And I, I want to go back to your discussion about, about in the 70s where the consumer got squeezed. This was the consumer having to react to the new realities of, of 
sort of the underpinnings of the economy, essentially. We are a huge consumer society. The United States is much bigger, and you never want to count out the U.S. consumer. Are we going to be okay not consuming, being crunched on our consumer side of what we like to spend our money on? Uh, the answer is we will be okay. <laughs> we will be okay. We have to understand what is going on. Uh, we, we, the public and governments, have to understand that that in order to raise that investment and in our investment in in machinery, equipment, and and uh, and intellectual property is really low by international standards. Um, in order to raise that up from say 14 percent of of GDP to say 17, 17 and a half, or 18 percent of GDP, which is what we will have to do in order to, to deal with these changes that are coming. That inevitably means there's three, four percent of GDP less that's there and available in the short run for consumption. That is, is foregoing some current consumption over this period in order to enjoy a world in 2040 and 2050 uh, that uh, that we once again uh, are growing. So we have to pause, if you will, on our consumption for a little while, make the investments so that we're in this new world uh, out there and at the end of this first half century, uh, we are growing again and growing strongly in real terms. Can you Can you give some guidelines on what kind of consumption are we talking about Buying less clothes? Are we talking about turning the air conditioning off? Are we talking about what, what what kind of consumption? Well, some of it will be at the margin, just as you said, drive fewer miles, or uh, or heat your house at uh, three degrees uh, less than than you had. Some some of it will be at the margin, which is uh, which is manageable, but some of it is less manageable. As we try to convert from heating our homes with natural gas to uh, heating with with electricity uh, and 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 the equipment that goes along with that, that's a big capital expense for households that they're going to have to undertake uh, along the way. Similarly, we're going to be replacing automobiles, um, and again, there's an expense. So part of the adjustment is we're having to spend a lot more on, on some things than we would have uh, had to spend in the past. That's our, our household investment, if right. you will, in the future. So um, forgive me, but it makes me think ergo bond, right? I mean, is that, is that the investment of the future? I mean, if we're looking at rates being higher and you're looking for some version of income, do you just stick with sort of this current, it seems, bit of a rotation into the fixed income? There is a story to the actual income side of fixed income these days. Is is that more compelling longer term? Um, yes, as I said, uh, for the very reason that we're heading into a period where I think there's a very, very high chance that uh, demand's going to exceed savings 
and so those those rates are are just going going to be higher. Um, but what we don't know, uh, and and it's very hard to judge, uh, is what the risks are going to be involved in some of these investments, right? And so what governments are doing now is to try to shoulder, if you will, some of those risks uh, that investments in the new technology um, will not pay off because we've got to make the investments now. We've got to try uh, to do it, even uh, even given the uncertainties. And so I, uh, the U.S. Act was mis mislabeled. It wasn't the Inflation Reduction Act at all. It, it, it was the, a transformation to a Green Economy Act and to do what needed to be done to make it profitable for business to take the risk to make investments in some of these new uh, uh, new ways of generating uh, and now very importantly transmitting uh, energy uh, uh, to, to make it uh, make it at least uh, profitable that they make the investments and so that's what our governments in both sides are trying to do it's a risky venture it's a risky venture for business but this is also a risky venture for governments um, it, it it is, as, as we, we just said in our recent report, it's a time for hard decisions where you've got to, you've got to make some bets. You've got to understand what the bets you're making are. You've got to take action at the same time to mitigate the worst of the risks uh, of those bets that we're taking. But it's not time that we can stand on the sidelines uh, any longer. And that is a global story or problem to be solved. It's certainly an advanced economy story. Absolutely. Okay. David Dodge, it's such a pleasure to, to get your thoughts at this uh, very important juncture of, of where interest rate policy is right now and where it goes from here. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, Pamela, it's been my pleasure to be with you today. Uh, and we'll, we'll, all, we'll all see what surprises uh, are in store for us down the down the line. Uh, all I've tried to do is to lay out kind of a baseline for how to think about it, knowing full well that there are going to be surprises uh, along the line. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. We hope to see you tomorrow.